Hey, welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour with my uh, with my co-host Gadi Tao. I'm talking to you today from uh, from my mom's house in Chicago, where we finally have been reunited with her after a year and a half of Corona. And uh, so we'll be uh, in the United States for the next month, and we're going to be trying to do these shows transatlantically. Um, and let's see whether Gadi is here. Hey, Gadi, you there? <laughs> I am still in Tel Aviv, as I have been since the beginning of the Corona pandemic, Caroline. I have not. Okay. Well, I've, I've been to Jerusalem a few times. Oh, well, that counts. And I've been to Efrat travel. once, to your house in Efrat. That's right. That's definitely uh, international travel, uh, particularly <laughs> leaving Tel Aviv and going anywhere else in Israel is, is uh, international travel. I've come it, to it's, the you know, that. Of course, there is the Ben and Jerry's legitimate territory and the Ben and Jerry's mm -hmm. forbidden territory where you live. Hey, how did you know that was going to be the first topic of our discussion today? I must, we maybe maybe we didn't actually uh, discuss this beforehand, guys. This is all unprepared. But yes, indeed, today on the Middle East News Hour, we're going to be talking about, about ice cream. Berries. Ice cream. We're talking about our favorite flavor. What did somebody send me? It was uh, it was BLM. Uh, Self-hating juice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yum yum. And uh, and then we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Gadi has uh, is in the center of a firestorm in Israel because uh, he printed an article in Aretz that tells the truth about Netanyahu's <laughs> trial. And we're going to get to that shortly. And he's going to have to give us all the details. But he's now in the eye of the storm. Right, Gadi? I'm, I'm, Luckily, uh, I love this. You know, just get me into a proper <laughs> fight and, and my adrenaline flows. Right, so he's, his adrenaline is flowing, so we're going to start real quick, and then we're going to turn to Iran and the uh, nationwide uprising that the Biden administration is doing everything in its power not to mention as it gives away the story to the Ayatollahs. But we'll talk about that last, so stay tuned. We've got a full show. Let's start with the ice cream truck. Hey, Gotti, what's going on there? I left the day before yesterday and all hell's broken out. What's all hell broke on? loose in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> the the, the uh, Ben and Jerry's have decided to boycott uh, Judea and Samaria, where, as our listening, listeners probably know, it is the jurisdiction of a, what do you call it? You don't say kibush in a... You don't say no, these are you know these are disputed territories to which Israel has uh, has uh, legitimate national and and legal rights under international law. You should read my book, The Israeli Solution, to get the whole lowdown on the legal status of this. Now you're saying this guy. It's the first episode where it's not right behind you on the shelf. Right, exactly. Uh, I'm going to have to pull it down from my mother's bookshelf <laughs> somewhere. I know she has about uh, five copies, so I'll be able to use one. And so Ben and Jerry's are are, are busy virtue signaling. Um, and they probably think that would ingratiate them with the right kind of crowds. I, I, I fear that, you know, there's a growing rift between the upper echelons of the elites and corporate wokeness we, who believe that Americans have bought this. Um, I, if I can say in parentheses, I, I interviewed uh, Ilana Eron Fishman. We should do it here on our podcast, too, who started a, a grassroots organization of parents called No Left Turn in Education, who are resisting, you know, critical race theory and gender fluidity theory imposed on their children. And I asked Ilana, you know, uh, 
well, half the country or mo- half the electorate voted Democrat. How, what do you say? Who supports this, this trend in education? How many, how many people are with you and how many people are with them? And she said they have maybe 10% of the parents. So Ben and Jerry's are, are, have done what I hope would be a costly move for them economically. And they, they're trying to virtue signal by boycotting the disputed territories, Judea and Samaria, um, which is... And well, Jerusalem. Don't forget, it's actually, and, it's not just and Judea East and Jerusalem. Samaria. It's also yeah. eastern, northern, and southern Jerusalem, all the neighborhoods inside of Jerusalem uh, uh, that Israel uh, reasserted its control over in the 1967 uh, what, war. What's the, what's the ice cream position on the Golan Heights? Is there one? I'm not sure. I think it depends, uh, but they'll probably... Only uh, the vanilla. The, only the vanilla is forbidden. In no, the until, but, but just, so you, just, just to be serious, guys, until Trump uh, recognized Israeli sovereignty over uh, the Golan Heights, all of the areas that were being targeted by the BL, by the BDS movement, the campaigns against us, the boycott, uh, divestment, and sanctions included as well the Golan Heights. Now uh, we're not so sure because we don't know what the status is from the American perspective. But I'm sure that since they also want to boycott you in Tel Aviv, Gadi, they probably also mean uh, the Golan Heights. I, I, you know, I have to confess, Carolyn, that I once boycotted where you live. I once refused to go across the, the green line before I understood what was what when I was young and had a skewed vision. Stupid. Of what I, I, yeah, well, I wanted to say that in a more soft way, but you're right, basically. So, so, that, so people started saying, okay, so the, like patriots here said, okay, we stopped buying Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Enough. We don't want ice cream. Some leftist idiots did a, 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 Twitter survey asking, what do you prefer, ice cream or settlements? Wow, settlements, 68%. Um, <sighs> you shouldn't have done it. Um, but then the, the plot thickens because apparently the, the, uh, the franchise, the Israeli franchise of, or, or the import, I don't know what you call it, the licensed import of It's ben a Jerry's, franchise. No, it's, an, it's, a it's a franchise. He refuses to boycott the territories. So now people are saying, don't stop buying Ben & Jerry's if you want to support this guy who's, who's bravely going against his, his parent company. So now we are eating Ben & Jerry's in order to undermine them. This is a complicated Jewish concept, but we feel we're in the right. It's true, but that's also important because... Um, this isn't the first time that Benny and Ben and Jerry's have announced uh, that they're joining the BDS movement and that they're going to stop selling their uh, their ice cream in uh, in my at the pizzeria neighborhood at the pizza at my neighborhood pizzeria where they sell it. Um, they did it a few years ago. I don't remember when I was going to check it, but I didn't have time. So you look it up, Ben and Jerry's BDS, and you'll find the the time. I think it was around. Uh, def, uh, it was probably around Protective Edge in 2014, the uh, Israel uh, Hamas war. Um, at any rate, they already joined the BDS movement. This is the second iteration, and back then as well, the owner of the franchise in Israel said, "Look, we're not boycotting anybody. This is total lie. We're not doing anything. It's all a lie. We're an independent. Uh, we're an independent business. We just bought the label." The ice cream is actually made in Bertuvia uh, in southern Israel, not beyond the 1949 armistice lines. I actually think you should move the factory to uh, Judea and Samaria just to really, you know, uh, uh, screw them. But, you know, these are Israeli employees who are making 
the ice cream in Israel. So he said at the time, don't boycott me. I'm not going to do anything. And, and sure enough, you can buy Ben and Jerry's all over today and Samaria to this day. But he said the same thing now. And I think his franchise license ends in a, in a year and a half. And if he's smart, and it certainly seems that he's a good man, uh, he'll find another label to operate under and he'll be able to keep his employees and continue his ice cream business all over Israel because we, we would be more than happy to stop buying Ben and Jerry's um, I don't actually buy it because of the first time around, but we get it free with uh, if we buy two pies. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, but but uh, but you should boycott Ben and Jerry's. And actually, if you own stocks in their parent company, Unilever, you should start uh, writing letters to the CEO of Unilever and demanding that they either that you'll either sell your stock or um, that uh, you're going to uh, or or that uh, they have to come down very hard on Ben and Jerry's and say that they're not going to participate in anti-Semitic boycott campaigns anymore. So I think, you know, it, American consumers in particular, Ben and Jerry's, I know that uh, Dove Hikind, a uh, former co New York uh, City Assemblyman, uh, had a member of Congress from New York on his uh, webcast the other day. I just linked to it on my Twitter account. And she said, I forget her name, that uh, that uh, this is completely unacceptable. Uh, even uh, the communist mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, comrade Bill, said that he was going to boycott Ben and Jerry. So I think it's much more important for the consumer boycott to happen in the United States. I know that in New Jersey, the rabbinate there is considering removing the Heksher uh, for Ben and Jerry's uh, ice cream. Uh, uh, so, you know, they that uh, they may end up losing their ability to sell to the Jewish market in the United States, it would be fantastic. And, and so I, I understand think that their, their, stocks are, their stocks have gone down because they're, they're in, in many American states, there are anti-BDS laws. And so, and so this may, and so the markets are already sensing that this is not going to be a wise move economically, and let's hope it, it hurts. I, I, before we end on this topic, Caroline, I, I wanted to add something because I just posted a video by Bassam Id, um, the Palestinian human rights activist who is really a brave man because he reports on abuses by the Palestinian Authority. He's an actual, he's a, it's actually important to make a distinction because most people who call themselves human rights activists yeah. are actually just anti-Israel, anti-American. Yeah, yeah. Activists. I was going to say this. What, what was Oh, you're what sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted. Never no, mind. No. What, what, what Bassem <laughs> did is he was a member of B'Tselem, which is a, a major anti-Israeli propaganda organ masquerading as a human rights organization. And he started reporting on abuses by the Palestinian Authority and they kicked him out. I mean, he left because they wouldn't publish his findings unless they incriminate Israel. They're not interesting. So, right. I, so I just posted this interview with him. Maybe we can we can put a link under our, our video for that because he said, you know, the, who gets hurt by the BDS? The Palestinian population. And he gave the example of SodaStream. SodaStream, an Israeli company, had a manufacturing plant in the territories, was boycotted by the BDS movement, that ended up forcing SodaStream to sh to to shift its operation into Israel. Thereby, one thousand and five hundred Palestinians lost their jobs. So, so this whole BDS movement is a Western thing. It's an anti-Israeli thing. It's not even a pro-Palestinian thing. It's just it, it. And and this is the 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 continuing how do I call it sickness of the. 
Palestinian national movement and its auxiliaries is that they, they are willing to sacrifice ordinary Palestinians if they can hurt Israelis. You probably know Golda Meir's famous saying that we will only have peace when Arabs love their kids more than they hate us. So the BDS is you a know, prime I example also, I wrote about I wrote about the anti-Semitism uh, in the United States and the failure of the of the Jewish community to be able to stand up to it. Um, in, for my column, that will be coming out on Friday this week. But there was an important article that uh, came out on Mosaic magazine this week that our readers should really take a look at, which was written by Joshua Moravchik about the struggle to define anti-Semitism and how the progressives are trying to water it down the definition of it in order to enable them to continue to engage in anti-Semitic activities. So in 2016, and this was after what happened, let me just back up. The reason why this is important is because it puts the Ben and Jerry's thing into context. And I think that that's really important. I'm sure a lot of you remember that a week before 9-11, there was a uh, conference against racism in Durban, South Africa. Uh, it, and uh, it was supposed to be the launching pad, or many people thought of it as a launching pad from the home of the apartheid regime of a new, of the new reinvigor reinvigorated anti-racist campaign for the 21st century. And what it ended up becoming was a uh, was a completely different thing. It was an it was the, an anti-Semitic conference. The conference, the goal ended up being to transfer the yoke of apartheid and the demonization that the South African regime underwent by the international community because it was a racist uh, regime uh, by its very nature, and they wanted to transfer that to Israel and transform Israel into the new South Africa, the new apartheid South Africa. And the most important conference there wasn't the conference of the governments that Israel and the United States ended up walking out of because they tried to define Israel as an apartheid state there. They ended up failing after the, Washington, after the Bush administration and, and the Sharon government left. It was actually the NGO conference. And that conference was spearheaded and organized by Amnesty International, a human rights organization, and Human Rights Watch, which now is just an all-out anti-Semitic pressure group, um, and, and a bunch of others with the participation of uh, Israeli Arab NGOs, Palestinian NGOs. And they put together this... Uh, plan, the blueprint of everything that we have been suffering from the past, for the past 21 years was really set out, or 20 years, was set out at the at the Durban conference. Erwin uh, uh, Kotler, the former Canadian Minister of Justice, was just speaking at a, at an online conference with NGO Monitor, uh, marking the 20th anniversary of the Durban Accords, and he said that if 9-11 was the Kristallnacht of terrorism, the Durban Conference was its Mein Kampf, that that was really where they set out the ideology of the political war against the Jews and through us of the international community of the of the of the free world, and so that was where they launched the boycott movement against Israel. The concept was to turn Israel into a pariah state, uh, its supporters into pariahs. American Jews, uh, Western Jews, uh, should be hounded for their support of Israel to the point where they won't talk about it anymore and so on and so forth. So the Jewish international response and the response of like-minded people who oppose anti-Semitism became in 2016, what uh, be was adopted as the, as the working definition of anti-Semitism by the International 
uh, Holocaust uh, Scholars Association, IRA. And so what they did was they defined anti-Semitism, and this was, you know, very left-wing the organization was, but they defined anti-Semitism and and, uh, and then they gave examples of contemporary anti-Semitism. And among the examples was saying that Israel doesn't have a right to exist, that anti-Zionism is not, you know, that, that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, that Israel is a Nazi state, that Israel is inherently racist. So all of the things that these people do as a matter of course, that Ben and Jerry's are doing now with their with their BDS and claiming that there's something inherently evil about Israel that it alone should be uh, boycotted, uh, really is is a con- is a consequence of what happened at Durban 20 years ago, and um, and so then uh, these these operations, uh, it was the adoption of the IRA. Uh, 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 a definition of anti-Semitism was then adopted, or the IRA definition was adopted by around 30 countries, including all these UN, EU member nations, was adopted by uh, the Conservative Party in, in Britain. And at that time, Jeremy Corbyn was the head of the Labour Party, and he is an anti-Semite, and he supports terrorism against Israel, he calls Israel a Nazi state, he says Israel doesn't have the right to exist, He and all of his ilk and the momentum movement and all that, they're all they're all anti-Semites and- He, he calls Hezbollah and Hamas uh, my friends. Exactly, yeah. I mean, so he and his friends. So the uh, there was an, he, after the conservative party adopted IRA, there was an expectation that the labor party would as well and he refused because of the examples that showed that he and all of his comrades are anti-Semites. And that caused a huge- No, because, but because it's also because they want this lever against Israel. They, exactly. they want to be free to call Israel illegitimate with, and remain on the side of portraying this as being in favor of human rights. So if you call this anti-Semitism, you flip it on them, they can't stand it. So they have a very, they have a very serious investment in, in fighting the IRA definition. Exactly. And why did why did the Durban conference happen? It happened because the previous year in September of 2000, so this was in August, September of 2001, Arafat rejected peace with Israel at the Camp David conference in July and began his jihad against Israel at the end of September in 2000. So that there was terrorism happening all over the streets of Israel at the time. In fact, the Sparrow bombing, which many of you may remember, uh, that were 15 people, eight of them children, were murdered in a suicide bombing that occurred during the Durban conference. So the idea was, okay, we can't say anymore that we're about peace because Arafat already showed that he doesn't want peace. He wants to annihilate Israel. So now that we have to make our support for the Palestinians who are literally blowing up the streets of Israel and murdering wantonly hundreds of Jewish civilians, children every single day, we have to make it about some other lofty goal. We need a new marketing tool for our anti-Semitism. And so they latched on to human rights. They hijacked the human rights movement and the language of human rights to continue justifying their campaign, their political war against Israel once the concept of peace was no longer relevant. And, and, so- you, know, and you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, that's I, fine. I, think, I think we can all almost show in algebraic, algebraic, algebra, how would you pronounce Al- it? Algebraically. Algebraically, yes. thanks. That's very fancy. It's a good uh, we, word. We, we can show we can show that the Palestinian uh, uh, the Palestinians have so turned the language of human rights that now they're basically saying that destroying Israel is a human right. Uh, 
Right. It's you can actually show this because they call they call this the legitimate rights of the Palestinian peoples, among which is the so-called right of return, which is basically right the of destruction of, of Israel. So in the language of rights, they and now anti-Semitism has has it's like it's like a, a parasite. Anti-Semitism, like a parasite, has infused the language of human right and has eaten it up from within. And it's become, and all these organizations, you know, people like you and me who who follow this closely, I guess you have this cerebral reaction like I do. When you see something that calls itself human rights, your immediate association is that they are racists. They are anti-Semitics. It's true. It's not cerebral so much as Pavlovian at this point, because because, uh, you know, we're so it's like so we don't need it. They've they've actually destroyed the whole concept of human rights in my mind. They've discredited it completely, which is why when you said Basamaid, a human rights. uh, 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 Yeah, yeah, I noticed advocate. I wanted to I wanted to explain that this is actually true in his case, because there are so few. You know, and so all I wanted to say here, because I want to move on to another human rights, a real human rights uh, uh, activist who is the Iranian American journalist Masih Alinejad, but uh, and the and the pit, kidnapping plot against her in the United States. But I want to just square the circle. So what happened? So the IRA uh, definition played a very significant role in being able to show the British public that. Leave that on. Now we know your mom. Yeah, I've this been is waiting my mom. Everybody want to come see my mom. <laughs> so we shouldn't. We're not gonna. We're not gonna edit this out, guys. Now you can all meet my mom, Sharon Glick. Say hi, mom. Yeah. Hello, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, okay, this is Gotti. That's okay. So um, we can look from that and see uh, what they did. They got screw- they got screwed, right? All of a sudden, this definition of anti-Semitism is making them discredited, is actually causing them political damage. So what they did was they decided that they were going to do a new definition of anti-Semitism. And in March, they came out with this new definition of anti-Semitism. They called it the Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism. Why Jerusalem? Because one of the participants in this was the post-Zionist Van Leer Institute that used to employ... Azmi Bashara, who was such a radical uh, member of uh, of uh, Knesset that he was actually about to be indicted for spying for Hezbollah in the middle of the war. But because they're in Jerusalem, they called it the Jerusalem Declaration. Two of the initial people who authored this thing are, this is Moravchik's article, he was writing about this, are actually Jewish supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. All right. There were very few Jewish supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. Mostly there were Marxist communists, you know, uh, but they were among the people who wrote it. There were about eight of them. They're all anti-Semites. They write this new thing. Gerald Steinberg from NGO Monitor actually said we should call it the Berlin uh, definition of anti-Semitism because most of the work on this definition was done in Berlin. So at any rate, this definition puts together, it sort of seems all right. And then it gives not only five examples of contemporary anti-Semitism, which sound an awful like, like, you know, classical anti-Semitism, racial anti-Semitism, but they also have five uh, examples of what is not anti-Semitism. And this is where it's very important, right? Because calling, saying Israel doesn't have a right to exist, call, you know, so the Jewish people alone in the entire world have no right to self-determination and political freedom. The 
calling Israel Nazi uh, is not anti-Semitism, calling Israel apartheid. So everything that the progressives do is fine. Is and exempt. so this is now being peddled. It's all being peddled in international circles. Our foreign minister, Yair Lapid, in many ways, attached himself to this horrible definition when he gave this execrable uh, speech last week to the Forum on Fighting anti Global Anti-Semitism, where he said that anti-Semites are, you know, slave slave uh, sellers, slave merchants. They're, any, they're, anyone who is a hater is right. a, an anti-Semite. So any form of group hatred is anti-Semitism, he said. Right. And this is, and I try to say this in, in, on Facebook and then on the radio at some, in some uh, show, that, that this is exactly the Obama line, because it's the corollary of saying that anti-Semites are are uh, th that that uh, the all victims of hate are victims of anti-semitism and all haters are the same and this is specifically designed to whitewash um i don't, i guess you don't whitewash is no longer a, a, a useful term in those circles but it's it's in to whitewash Isla uh, islamic radicalism because obama forbade his administration to say jihadist and Muslim terrorism and replace this with a general term uh, violent extremism so right. that when when a kosher supermarket was bombed in in Paris by a jihadist uh, terrorist he said that a terrorist extremist murdered some folks folks That's of all. Delhi they called yeah called and this is and, and what is the Delhi. next step what is the next step the next step is if you if anti-Semitism is any group stereotype that's negative, then if you do, if you want to avoid being anti-Semite, an anti-Semite, then don't generalize about Muslims. And then if you say that this is an, an anti-Semitic attack by by jihadists, then you you suffer from Islamophobia. And and it was. Uh, um, it was Andrew McCarthy who said that Islamophobia is not a phobia. Right. It is a term invented by the Muslim Brotherhood in order, he said, to discourage any discussion of Sharia supremacist ideology, Sharia being the religious code of the radical Muslims of, of, of Islam. And, and so it's, it's a specifically designed to, to, to disarm Jews protesting anti-Semitism. This is what it does. Yep. It's supposed to shut you up when you try to protest against anti-Semitism. And now our foreign minister, for uh, you don't say for Christ's sake. For um, crying out our, loud. For crying out loud. Our foreign minister is cooperating with this. And the Zionist or American Zionist organization sent him a letter of a protest saying, what are you doing? We are th These are the tools they are using against us in our fight against anti-Semitism. And he just, because he's completely empty. He, my theory of him is he's a complete postmodern. So now in, in all these, this is in front of European foreign ministers. So it's a progressive form. And he just wanted to get a pat on the head and he's uh, he he doesn't have a gyroscope only a radar so he tries to please whatever audience he he talks to and now you're saying this and it sounds good to you and you think this is idealistic you, i i don't want to use stronger terms ah uh, it's terrible it is terrible and it's also it's also incredibly dangerous to Jews uh, in Israel and in the diaspora, and it leads directly to the the accreditation, the giving credibility to actions like Ben and Jerry's, which really just involve 
uh, dehumanizing Jews. Nobody knows. I mean, you know, we had to go through this whole explanation of where Judea and Samaria are, what are the occupied territories, because, you know, really what he's doing is saying boycott the, the, the Israelis who work in Beratufia who make this ice cream, you know, deny them a livelihood. You know, let's close down their shop. It's not let's deny the enjoyment of Ben and Jerry's. There are loads of ice creams that Israelis can choose from. Nobody really cares about Ben and Jerry's. You know, Starbucks came to Israel in the early part of the century and they totally failed because we have better coffee and nobody was able to latch onto the idea that you pay 10 bucks for a cup of coffee that tastes like crap. You know, no, for whatever reason, it just didn't work in this country. And I mean, I'm in Chicago, but I meant, you know, in Israel, it just didn't work. So Ben and Jerry's, you know, people like it, but this isn't like a big deal to anybody. Nobody cares that much. They're not a big deal here. We're just not that into them. The people who are harmed are the people who produce Ben and Jerry's ice cream in Israel. And he's doing it for feel-good points that he wants to receive from a bunch of anti-Semites, from people who are saying that Israel, the Jewish state, is inherently criminal, like South Africa under the apartheid regime. There's no similarity between the two, but Ben and Jerry's have bought into this idea because uh, it's pleasing to them. And that's why, again, just to round off the circle, um, you know, Americans who own stock in Unilever should really be protesting to uh, the board of Unilever and saying, look, we're going to divest from this stock. Mutual funds that have money in Unilever, in Unilever, if they're living in the 38 states in the United States that have passed anti-BDS laws, you know, should should be uh, calling on their uh, on their pension funds to divest from uh, Unilever in accordance with the laws in their states. And so on and so forth. I mean, there there are things that people can do. Not everybody in the United States, certainly not in the states that have passed anti anti BDS laws, who are are allies in fighting anti Semitism. You know, they should be talking to them about enforcing the law, divesting from Unilever, and Unilever should uh, divest itself. You know, if they want, they can unload Ben and Jerry's if they refuse to cancel the. Uh, the boycott. But these are things that are directed specifically, again, in Israel, no skin off our back. The franchise owner already said that he, he's thinking about uh, uh, um, canceling the license that he has, and then he'll just uh, sell his ice cream, whatever it is, under a different label. Nobody cares. This is all, you know, the, and the people who are being hurt, the people who are being demonized are Israel supporters abroad. And people need to understand that anti-Semitism is a hatred, but it's a unique kind of hate and it uniquely hates Jews. And trying to universalize it and try to latch on to the intersectionality crap, right? And pretend that, you know, uh, you can't fight anti-Semitism if you don't uh, support BLM. It's just a way to expand anti-Semitic attacks against Jews. Anti-Semites are not our allies in fighting anti-Semitism. They're our enemies. And the way that you fight anti-Semitism is turning to allies like the evangelical Christians, like so many people of 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 uh, of good of good character in the United States, and working with them to oppose anti-Semitism and isolating the people who support it. You don't empower anti-Semites, and you know, that's a whole insane concept behind embracing the PLO, a terrorist organization as Israel's uh, peace partner. That was never gonna work. They exist to annihilate Israel. If you want to have peace, then you bypass the anti-Semites. You don't empower them. And same thing here, you don't exactly. empower anti-Semites if you wanna fight it. You you undermine them, you discredit them, you delegitimize them, you isolate them, not us. And so that's really you know the, the ABCs of it all. 
And now we have to turn to real allies in the fight of anti against anti-Semitism, and those are the Iranian people. You know, this of course is something that has barely been covered in the in the in the press, either in Israel, because our press is following the example of the of the propaganda Slavishly, organs of America. Disgustingly. And so you don't see it. You have to go online. You know, I follow a lot of Iranian uh, oppositioners on my Twitter feed. You should follow my Twitter feed at Carolyn Glick uh, at, on Twitter and look there. And then you can, you know, delve into it more, uh, more directly by following them. But uh, today, unbeknownst to almost anybody, really, who isn't following it, um, there is there are nationwide protests, uprising throughout Iran in the oil-rich province of Khuzestan. Uh, uh, they're just lighting up the streets, uh, calling for the overthrow of the regime. They're being, uh, and then the people of Iran in every single province in that country are standing up in solidarity with the Khuzestan workers who are calling for the overthrow of the regime. Women, I got a report today, women in the subways uh, in uh, Tehran, where women are subjected to gender apartheid and they sit in uh, separate uh, separate uh, train cars than the men, they're screaming death to Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran. It's all over the country. People are calling for the downfall of Iran. You know, there's another protest where in, in, a, in a different province where people were apologizing to uh, to the Shah's uh, heir, to his son, saying, we're sorry, the biggest mistake we ever made was overthrowing your father, come back. We want to overthrow the regime. I mean, these are incredibly radical things to say. And all of the tens of hundreds of thousands of Iranians who are saying them in the streets, in Khuzestan, they're being shot point blank by uh, regime officials. They are the most courageous people that we've ever seen, ever. They're amazing. And we have to be supporting them. And um, and and uh, nobody is. And I'll just give one example, and then I'll open it up to Gadi. Last week, uh, the Iranian American human rights uh, uh, journalist and human rights activist Masih Alinejad. It was published that the Iranian intelligence services had developed had hatched a plot that they were advancing to uh, kidnap her in her home in Brooklyn, which they were which were, they were scoping. They had hired a private eye to follow her everywhere, to take high resolution pictures of her working in her garden with her husband and her children. I mean, crazy stuff. They were planning on, on abducting her from her home. They were following, by the way, all of her friends and associates in the United States as well. Putting her on a swift boat, a military, uh, military grade uh, uh, boat that they were gonna purchase and speared her away to Venezuela, which is which is allied with the Iranian regime, and from there transfer her to Iran. I don't know if people know, but there are two Iranian military flights to Caracas every week. It's been going on for years and years, and there is a lot of talk about the uranium uh, mines in in Venezuela and what their role is in de in developing Iran's nuclear weapons project. So um, the Biden administration. When this came out that this that this was happening, and they they indicted the Justice Department, indicted uh, four Iranians, three of whom are, are unreachable there in Iran. There are intelligence uh, officers there, and one is an American Iranian who's an Iranian agent in Los Angeles who were involved in this. They announced the indictments. The Justice Department did, and the State Department and the White House refused to say anything about it. 
They referred all reporters' questions about the plot to the Justice Department, treated it like a criminal justice issue, would not condemn the Iranian government, the regime, for seeking to uh, carry out terrorism on the streets of the United States, abducting an American citizen, American citizen, and bringing her to Iraq. But hey, look, Caroline, Khashoggi. Right. Khashoggi, I thought that I saw that he was again, you know, our brain dead media in Israel. I didn't watch it, but I heard them again rehashing the whole Khashoggi thing because that's the worst thing in the world. And Saudi Arabia is terrible. And, and let's go after an Israeli uh, high tech firm that sells uh, uh, that sells software uh, to intelligence, to, uh, to intelligence, uh, intelligence uh, um uh, equipment to to foreign intelligence uh, things and say that Israel is responsible for tracking uh, dissidents in Bahrain. Like we should care because the dissidents in Bahrain were trying to overthrow the regime in order to transform that country into an Iranian uh, satellite state. But we're supposed to, you know, want them to be able to reign free and overthrow an allied government. So I'll just say the obvious is that this is the old Obama line. This is what Obama did when there was a when there was protest against the regime. The in green, the green revolution. The, he just turned his back on them because his whole strategy is about making Iran the centerpiece of a new Middle Eastern order, which is which would the, be the, fine if it wasn't this regime, right? Because the Shah regime was a strategic ally of both the United States But he wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it with the Shah regime right. because the Shah regime, he is he's trapped in the progressive Edward Said paradigm. And so the Shah is a is a CIA creation in that language, right? So he's so it's it, that's colonialism. Right. But the real um spirit of of Iran is radical Islam and and they keep and they keep avoiding the the, the the glaring fact that Iran is hates America and calls it the big devil. Right. They think that appeasing extremists somehow pacifies them, and that has never been true. It's not true anywhere. It's not true with your class bully, and it's not true with world communism, fascism, or any any violence and dictatorship in in in, a, in the global. It's not working with China too, right? So it never works. And and they and they they keep committing this mistake, which which I think is based on narcissism. It's based on narcissism because everything the other feel is the feels is somehow what we made them feel. So it's always up to us. We we they don't respect the fact that these are sophisticated fanatic fundamentalist ideal ideologues and that nothing America does will ever pacify their hate and that their real dream is to destroy first Israel and then America. You know, I, I mean, it's also important to understand the strategic implications because to a large degree and understandably, I think, um, you know, the United States of America has used human rights as a as a means to an end. Everybody says that they're for human rights, but it's a question of whose. Because as LBJ, you know, said, yeah, he's an SOB, but he's RSOB, right? So that there are there there. If you want to be responsible in in advancing your country's uh, uh, interests, you're not necessarily going to uh, uh, push the same human rights agenda against everybody equally, because if you do, you may end up harming 
your ally. There are really excellent reasons to say that what I just said was immoral and horrible, and you can't say that, and you have to fight human rights everywhere. And if you were really going to fight for human rights everywhere in a serious way, without prejudice, then I would say, you know, you're absolutely right. If you're capable of actually across the board advancing a serious human rights agenda, but also requiring people to have the means in place to, uh, to if you bring down a regime, actually replace it with something better. You know, I mean, that kind of agenda is incredibly serious and, and, and you have to be very responsible when you use it, but that's not how anything ever works, right? But here, the strategic implications of standing with the Iranian people against this regime are all positive. There's no downside to overthrowing this regime. There's no downside to standing in solidarity so that even you know, the realists, so-called, the Americans who don't want to enter, or the American first people, you know, Trump supporters who got tired of the whole messianic concept of democratizing the world that the that that the neoconservatives put forward as a as a reason for invading Iraq in 2003. You know, uh, Iraqi freedom, that that's what we're, that's the point of the war. No, the war was actually to, to, to fight terrorism in Iraq. And so you, you can say, all right, you can be opposed to democratizing the world, to saving everybody on the planet, and still want to ardently support the Iranian people because overthrowing this regime is going to massively advance American national security interests and, of course, Israeli and regional national security or, or, or international security. It's going to end the most dangerous threat to the proliferation, nuclear pro nonproliferation regime since the dawn of the atomic age in 1945, because if Iran gets the bomb, then everybody's gonna pursue it, and we're gonna have a nightmare on our hands in the Middle East. And also because Iran, you know, what are you gonna do? They wanna annihilate uh, the Jewish state, they wanna kill all the Jews, and they wanna annihilate the United States, and they're developing ICBMs in, in, uh, in alliance with North Korea. So if, if you know, every, all of these threats will be diminished, if not as a practical manner, eliminated, if this regime goes, there's no possible reason for the Biden administration not to be supporting the Iranian people. And yet they're not. Tony Blinken finally spoke with Masih Ali Najad uh, the, today, and he puts out this tweet. He says, we support journalistic freedom everywhere. He didn't mention Iran in it. He didn't say anything against Iran. He didn't say the Iranian regime was trying to, to, to conduct a terrorist organization. So... The last thing I want to just say real quick, because we do want to turn it over to Gadi. Can you just really briefly, before you have to leave, before we have to end this, uh, can we can we just hear what happened with your article in Haaretz because, so that our, our readers understand that not only are you a celebrity, but you're doing God's work by writing for an anti-Semitic paper? Yeah, I'll, I'll say just a word, and it's. I think it's worth discussing the whole the whole thing in more detail next time. Um, but I, I, I basically said the obvious. I said that the whole narrative about that that removed Netanyahu from office, the narrative about Netanyahu being corrupt, which which hurt him electorally, seriously hurt him, uh, is based on something so ridiculous in terms of the criminal law that the the attorney general is not able to explain in court what exactly the crime was and of course it since the whole narrative of the left is built on this what i did is you know i touched the holy grail and or i don't know the radioactive 
center the of all this rail. and everything yeah. and everyone wanted to shut me up it's i could it's it was these people were seriously arguing that haaretz should not let me write about the topic why because i'm not a lawyer and this is this is the most ridiculous argument i've heard because haaretz is full of people writing on this who are not lawyers and the, the press is all full of people writing about this who are not lawyers and it's okay so long as they toe the party line if you don't all hell broke so and, and uh, you know i love this because it draws attention to your argument so you you need whenever you want to do this don't do a half measure if you want to stick a finger in the eye stick it deeply and turn it because then they scream bloody murder and they want to shut you up and then everybody goes to read your article saying what let's see what the let's see what the, they even translated it to english so if you want to look it up in aretz you, you can And I hope it's not behind the paywall. If it is, then, uh, you know, we'll just summarize. He said, you know, Netanyahu is now standing on trial. The trial opened with the bribery charge against him, which is the only serious charge that he's being accused of. They're trying to make their point. They're trying to make their case. They have no evidence. Now, they've never, they were never asked by the media, by all the legal experts who aren't lawyers or whatever in the Israeli media for the past few years to make their case. Unfortunately, as you wrote, In a court, you actually need to produce evidence, and it works that they don't have any. There's no evidence that either a bribe was given or that a bribe was taken. And so this whole thing that, again, brought about the electoral downfall of Benjamin Netanyahu by taking, peeling away just enough and discrediting him and legitimized hating him as the major motif in Israeli politics for the past four elections, the past two years, all of this is based on a complete lie. More next time, guys. It was great seeing you again. Our show, again, is on, is on Rumble. It's on YouTube. It's on numerous podcasts that you can download. All of the links are on my site. And also, there's a subscription button. Subscribe. Subscribe to our updates. Subscribe to my updates. Uh, you know, join, join the thousands of people who receive all of my work. And there's Carolyn Glick, uh, Middle East News Hour every week. I promise I don't bother you. I only send it out like once and maximum twice a week. So come join us, be part of the show, ask us questions. And if we have time, we're going to answer them. We'll talk about the topics that are important to you. And we hope that the topics that are important to us are important to you as well. So have a great day. Have a great week. And we'll see you again next week. Take care. See you. Enjoy Chicago, Carolyn. Thanks so much. You already met my mom. How could I not be happy? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that was a first. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, bye-bye. Good night. Good night.